You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. There's always an opportunity for us to be offended. And let me tell you where that comes from, is that comes initially from a lie that the enemy tries to drop into our heart, into our mind. And the reason why the enemy uses offense and why it's so powerful is because when we get offended, what happens is that oftentimes we remove ourselves, don't we? If you get offended enough, then you're going to build a distrust with people. You're going to be guarded. You're going to be limited. And the problem with that is that the Bible tells us that when we're in fellowship with Jesus Christ, then we need to be in fellowship with one another. And the purpose of being in fellowship with one another is so that the gift of God in you can be used to encourage the gift of God in somebody else. But if you are guarded and restricted and pulled back and isolated because you're offended and you're hurt, then that gift isn't going to come out. And the enemy knows that if he can get a believer or anybody offended, he can win. And this message doesn't just apply to those who would consider themselves believers. It applies to anybody. A lot of dangerous things can happen when we isolate ourselves, and a lot of times that isolation comes through offense. And so we talked about that, started talking about that, and and talked about, hey, how, what's the reality with offense? And, and how do we begin to let God deal with that? And I want to continue this message. And today what I want to do is take a different look at this idea of about three particular types of offense from three different characters in the Bible. We're going to look at Joseph's life. We're going to look at John the Baptist's life. And we're going to take a quick look at the Canaanite woman, which some of you don't even know who she is, but I'll tell you. And in each of their cases and scenarios, there was an opportunity to be offended. Some of them were offended. One in particular, I believe, was offended. And the nature of these offenses, and we're going to look and see what God does to begin to heal us from that place so that we can be whole and be the people that God has created us to be, to function firmly in our gifts that he has given us. So let's kick this off. The first person I'm going to look at today is Joseph. And this is Joseph in the Old Testament here. And for those that don't know, Joseph had a lot of siblings. And Joseph was, at the time, the favorite son. He was the youngest of all of his brothers, and yet he was the favorite. Any, any uh, babies in the family? I'm the baby in the family. I had two, two older siblings. And you guys know, we're special, right? We're the favorites. We don't do anything wrong. It's just who we are, you know? It's not our fault or, you know, it's just what God gave us. It's our burden to bear. I know. And here we see Joseph. And Joseph is not just the favorite and the youngest, but he's also what the scripture says is a dreamer. Maybe somebody we might say is prophetic. And Joseph has these dreams. And there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer except for when your dreams involve uh, your older brothers bowing down to worship you. And you're dumb enough to tell your other brothers the dream. When they know that your dad's favorite and you can do no wrong. And so some animosity, the Bible tells us in Genesis 37, that there's some animosity that begins to build up between Joseph's brothers and Joseph. To the point where there's a scenario where, where, where Joseph's dad tells him to go and to, to find his brothers, to give his brothers something. And they conspire, Joseph's brothers conspire to kill him. You know things are bad at home when people are planning to kill you. And just by the grace of God, one of Joseph's brothers named Reuben just says, no, we can't kill him. Let's take him captivity and, and throw him into a pit. We'll take his, clo- his, his coat off, which was a gift from his father that symbolized so much and we'll rip it apart, and we'll dip it in blood, and we'll tell dad, hey, a wild animal came and killed Joseph, and he'll mourn, and then we'll get rid of Joseph, we'll sell him into slavery. And for whatever reason, Reuben's decision seemed like a logical one. It wasn't much of a step up from dying. But the scripture tells us that this actually happens to Joseph, that he goes to his brothers, they take him, they rip his coat off of him, they throw him in a pit, they, they do exactly what they said. They tell his father exactly what their plan was. And then Joseph is sold into slavery. And here we find the first point in opportunity of offense. 
And what I believe that Joseph had to hurdle, and every one of us, well, some of us, I should say, may have to hurdle is this, is the offense of abandonment. The offense of abandonment. And this is a great story, but it gets even better because this is not the only time that Joseph is abandoned. And the Bible tells us this, that Joseph gets sold to a man named Potiphar, who was an Egyptian, a high-ranking Egyptian, and gets put in charge of all of Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife is slimy, and she likes Joseph and she tries to be inappropriate with Joseph, and Joseph will have nothing of it. And so he flees. And so as he flees, the wife, in her shame and her embarrassment and her anger, she says that Joseph attacked her. And what happens to Joseph out of that story is Joseph is put into prison. Now stop and think, because most of us know the end of this story, and we lose sight of some of the in-between. We lose sight of the feeling and the depth and the emotional range that exists in this storyline. But here you are, as Joseph, and the only crime you ever committed was being born the youngest. You did nothing wrong. Your brothers hate you. It wasn't your dream, it was God's dream. And yet, at this point in his life, he is thrown into a pit and sold into slavery, and now he is thrown into prison. And this is a great story, but it honestly doesn't stop there. Because the story in the prison is that Joseph has an interaction with two guys, and one in particular is the cupbearer of the king who did something wrong and got thrown into prison because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was a particular fella. And they both have some dreams, and the cupbearer has a dream, and Joseph interprets the dream because that's the gift of God in him. And isn't it interesting that he never stops using his gift, even though everybody has abandoned him? And Joseph looks at him and says, listen, in a couple of days, you're going to be restored back to your position. And when, and when you do, please remember me. And when you get before Pharaoh again, when you get before the king again, please Please remember me. And the very last verse of that particular chapter in Genesis tells us this. And the cupbearer forgot him. And Joseph stayed in prison two more years. Now let me ask you a question. Would it be okay to be offended then? Would it be okay for the offense of abandonment to kick in? If you were in prison... And the only crime you committed was being the youngest, which there is no crime in that. Would you feel the offense of abandonment begin to stockpile up on you? Joseph did not. But let me ask you a question because some of you, you go, look, I understand that and I feel that way. And why does the offense of abandonment come to us? How does this happen? As it was for the case of Joseph, you feel like people have forgotten about you. Maybe you're going through something and it's a hard time and, and it feels like all you can see is the things that are happening wrong around you and, and you feel like nobody's reaching into you. And this little thought pops up inside of your head and says, everybody's forgotten about you. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows your problem. Nobody cares about you. Some of you, you may be suffering this place of the offense of abandonment because people have the wrong opinion about you. That maybe because you feel like you're a little different or, or, or maybe because you feel like there is something that God's shown you, as it was the case with Joseph, that people have gotten the wrong opinion about you or even worse, people have lied about you. People have lied about you. Sometimes the truth is in this, in this place here, because I'm sure that this happened with Joseph, is that he had to navigate through this, this understanding and this potential offense of abandonment and saying, God, where are you? Dad, where are you? How could my brothers do this? 
that at different points in times there was an opportunity or maybe the enemy tried to slip in a lie in Joseph's thinking to get him to believe that this was the truth about who he was, that somehow he deserved this. And in the same way, this offensive abandonment and the end goal of the enemy is to get you to believe the lie about yourself that you are not worth loving. Sometimes this happens because we feel like God's forgotten about us. Now, I know that we would never raise our hands for this, but I'm certain because I know it's, been, it's happened to me that there are people in this congregation this morning that feel that way, that God, it really feels like you forgot about me because I've been in this pit for a long time. So what's our response to this? How does God free us from this place? If the opportunity for the offense of abandonment to happen to us is, is real, then how do we combat it? And how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? So the first thing, and if you're taking notes, and this applies to you, I want you to write this down in the scripture down, is that you need to understand that you're not alone. You're never alone. Oh, you're never alone. I don't care if there's no physical people around you or you feel like in the darkest still of the night that you're all alone. You are never alone. You're never alone. Let me show you in scripture how we know this is true. And I love this passage in Romans 8, 38 and 39. But before I read that, let me make a statement about this. And I'm, this is, so okay, let me, let me go back to Joseph's story real quick. Now this is the redemptive part of Joseph's story that I love. If you've read the story, you know where I'm going. Is that Joseph has a reunion. God puts him in the very place that as a teenager, he gave him this dream. God begins to fulfill what he said he's going to do. Because God always does fulfill what he says he's going to do. And he's standing up there, the second in command of all of Egypt. And a great famine hits all over that region in that area. And it affects his brothers who don't know if Joseph is alive or dead. They really think he's dead. His father, who's still alive, that has mourned the loss of his, his son. And they come to Joseph, and they don't recognize Joseph, and, and Joseph immediately recognizes them and sees them. But there's this beautiful passage when this understanding and this reconciliation takes place, and Joseph pulls him aside and said, Brothers, it is I, the one that you threw into the pit. <laughs> Now, now, question, stop, because this is where, like, I mean, let's be, just be honest. Let's be honest, right? Pretend like you don't know the end of the story. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. And one of the adventures is just, like, open up a can of whoop-butt on them. How many of you would be like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice. It would be so nice to be like, go spend some time in prison. I'll remember you, wink, wink, <laughs> Right? But Joseph doesn't do this, and this is what's so redemptive, and this is what's so powerful. And here's the point, okay? Because Joseph's response is, hey, brothers, stop. Don't be afraid. Don't cry. Don't, don't just chill out, man. Chill out. Because what you meant to, to bring destruction, God used for your salvation. And here is what Joseph is saying and what you have to understand in this, this whole thing and how you combat the offensive abandonment is understanding you're never alone is that you cannot get your source. You cannot get your source of joy, of life, of future, of fulfillment from man. You can't. It only comes from the Lord. It only comes from the Lord. So Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, this powerful scripture. A man who went through prison was, was beat a couple times, was isolated, was uh, told he wasn't a real apostle, all these wonderful things. And he writes this, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, you're never, ever alone. You're never alone. The second response to this offensive abandonment is this, is never stop being kind and showing other people love and kindness. 
If you want to overcome this offense, no matter how difficult it is or how much you want to believe a lie that nobody likes you, you have to continue to operate in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Don't stop using your gift to bless somebody. One of the hardest things it might feel like it is to do, but one of the best things to help you overcome this offense is to continue using your gift. And I honestly believe this is what kept Joseph sane. Because there is this current statement that follows every experience and potential pitfall of his life. Is that the favor of God was with him. That he had favor. That he had favor. And why did he have favor? Because he used his gift. He honored the Lord through his gift. And friends, I want to tell you that if you're dealing in this, in this, this, this terrible thought, this terrible lie of the enemy that you've been abandoned, continue to use your gift. Continue to use your gift. Use your gift. And know, I mean, write this one down. Know that you know that God controls your timing, your advancement, and your placement, as well as your position. That even though you feel like nobody notices you or recognizes you or, or, or you're, you're all alone, it doesn't matter because God will never, ever leave you. The love of Jesus Christ will never leave you. And God controls the timing of your life. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes this. He says, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on until the completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, if God promised it, if he said it's going to happen, Joseph, if those dreams came from God, guess what? It doesn't matter if you've been in a pit, a prison, you've been lied on, you've been forgotten about, it's going to happen. Because the one who promises it is faithful. The one who promises it is faithful. All right, let's keep going here. Let's talk about John. Now this one, this, this offense is, is a, I want you to hear me on this, is a little tricky because I think most of us deal with this. And this is the offense of expectation. The offense of expectation. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Right? Let me tell you his story. John finds himself in prison by King Herod, and he's, a, he's at, at the end of his life. He is literally about to lose his head. And in a moment of desperation, both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read in particular this today from the Gospel of Luke 7, 18 and 19. It says this in verse 18 that John's disciples told him about other things, calling two of them. This is John the Baptist called his disciples to himself while he's in prison. He sent them to the Lord to ask, the Lord is Jesus Christ. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? <laughs> Woo, John, I'm getting a little feisty there. Now let me just throw some context on this, okay? In case you don't know, it's really important to understand here to get the full impact of what John just said. First is this, is that John is Jesus' cousin. If you don't know that, you know it now. If you don't know the story, the, the, the birth story of Jesus, part of it is that Mary has a relative named Elizabeth who is pregnant with John the Baptist at the same time that Mary is, 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 is full, is pregnant with Jesus Christ. And their lives are intertwined prophetically together. This is, this is a supernatural as well as a very much biological relationship. And all their life, they come up and there's this understanding that kind of culminates at what we read about in the Gospels where, where John is out there and he's proclaiming the Messiah. Now I want to stop and I want to dig back just a smidge deeper if you'll let me. Because in Jewish tradition, the idea of Messiah was common. It was common. It was common. But what the Jewish tradition and what the Jews were looking for was the, the Messiah who was going to come and liberate them out of the oppressive rule that had chased them for centuries. And currently, Rome had put them under their thumb. And only a few years before Jesus comes on the scene... There was almost a turnover of events within Jerusalem where the Jews in the temple were destroyed, but they fought back and they pushed back the enemies. And so they lived in this very contentious state 
And so the desire, whenever they talked about Messiah, it naturally came together with this thought that the Messiah was going to liberate them out of this governmental and social injustice and pressure that was smashing down on them. And when John is proclaiming the Messiah, it is certain to know there are things that we absolutely know at the Jordan River baptism as John baptizes Jesus that God descends, the Holy Spirit descends, and the audible voice of God comes out from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It is clear to John the Baptist that he knows that Jesus is God. So what went wrong here? Where did the wheels fall off the bus? Because John here is facing a wall. And he's seen the end of his life. And for a moment, he slips out of the understanding and the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah. But not like the Jewish tradition said, but a different one, a complete one. One who can liberate the spirit and the soul of man. And one who will one day establish his kingdom. And he slips out of that understanding for a half second. And he calls his disciples to himself and he says, go to Jesus and ask him this question. And I can imagine, I can imagine that he is panicky because he knows he is about to die. Go ask Jesus if he's the one or we should expect somebody else. Hey, John, the only thing that you're going to expect is eternity because your life's over, buddy. But what John is saying here is this. Hey, Jesus, it's my expectation that I, I stood up and I lost a lot for you as I proclaimed you. Hey, cousin. Hey, Messiah. Hey, God. I stood up and I proclaimed a lot for you. And I think at some point, at some point, in some, some place in my life, hey, guess what? It, sh- it should pay off here. Hey, I have an expectation that you're going to at least take care of me. You're going to come do something. Can't you make these prison gates open up? Can't you smite Herod? Can't you do something? Can't you come and liberate Israel, Jerusalem, the Jews out of this place? Can't you come do this? And for a second, John got out of the revelation of who Jesus was. No, not John. John would never do that. Yeah, John did. Because you know the story goes like this. When the disciples come and they ask Jesus this question, what does Jesus do? He says, come follow me. And he goes and he performs the things that he declared the kingdom and the gospel was about. He opened blind eyes. He liberated. He set those who were impression free. And then he looks back at him and he says, hey, go tell John everything that you have seen and heard today. And you know what I believe happened. And again, this is just my opinion. It's not in the words, so just take it for whatever you want. But I believe that John's disciples went back to John and said, John, Here's what happened is that Jesus, we told him what we told him what you said to say and and we did it. And he said, come on, follow, follow him. And then he went and he put his hands on this blind woman. She received sight and this demon possessed kid, you know, he cast a demon out and then he preached the gospel. And you should see like these faces lit up and people became free. And then he just said, go back and tell tell you what what we did today. And what I like to believe and what I believe is that John's face lit up. And he probably belt knelt, his, knelt his head a little bit and he said, oh God, I'm sorry. I got in the wrong expectation and I allowed offense. You know what Jesus said after John's disciples left is he looked at us and he said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Oh. Ah. Hmm. What a beautiful story. Why does this happen? How does this happen, this offensive expectation? This happens, honestly, when we fail to listen and to hear. The offensive expectation happens when we fail to listen and to hear. When we fail to hear God, to listen to what He's saying, and we start moving, doing, and thinking without hearing God first. I don't know about you, but I've been in that spot. 
And what you're doing may not be bad, it may be good, but it's just not what God told you to do. And all of a sudden, you find yourself up against a, a wall, and you go, God, what's going on, man? I did this for you. And not until we stop and we listen, and God says, nah, I never asked you to do that. I never asked you to do that. But our expectation becomes lined up with what we're doing, and the reality is what we're doing isn't what God asked us to do, then we're going to be hit with the offense of expectation. God, I deserve something better than this. I, I deserve something. This is, I, I did this, and, and, and I thought I was honoring you, and, and really God doesn't expect you to be good as much as he expects you just to be obedient and to listen. This also happens with people when we don't take the time to listen to other people's needs and we just move out. We start doing and we don't listen to to the heart of people. I dealt with this in a personal way when Kim and I first got married. And we were living in San Antonio, and I was an associate youth pastor. And it was a really hard time in our life. The only thing that was good was Kim and I. We didn't have money. Like, I mean, come on. Y'all remember when you got married, y'all people? Like, when you didn't have nothing? Like, nothing? Like, you were making a decision. Should we eat? But if we eat, we're not going to be able to pay rent. You know? But we're hungry. Ah, forget rent. We lived, no joke, no, no joke, we lived in a 500 square foot apartment where you could plug in the vacuum cleaner to uh, one outlet and vacuum the whole apartment. Where you had to stand up from the toilet to open and close the door, you know, it was just, it was beautiful. <laughs> I, I could tell you so many stories, but there was a guy who was um, a friend who, who gave me a car. And man, like, that's a good gift, huh? Yeah, especially when you're poor. We had a car, but, you know, two cars, there's nothing wrong with that. And the guy gave me a car. And he said, look, I'm going to bless you, but the car he gave me was a hoopty. Y'all remember old school hoopty, some of any 40-year-olds, you know what's up. And I couldn't afford to maintain this car. I couldn't afford to keep it up, so I just had to park it in the apartment complex, and then they find me because they're like, you got to move that hoopty. And I was like, oh, i got to get rid of this. And this guy got so mad at me. He got so mad at me. He's like, is that how you treat a gift? And I'm like, I felt so bad. I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. I know you wanted to bless me. I called my mom. And you know what my mom told me? It was just profound wisdom. He said, son, a gift's not a gift if it comes with strings or it's not a blessing. I said, whoa, wait a minute, mom, thank you. High five, long distance, baby. I love that. I let myself off the hook. And a lot of times what happens is this, is that that offensive expectation happens. Maybe you did something for somebody. Maybe somebody did something for you. Maybe you, you just kept moving forward on something and you didn't take the time to listen and figure out really what somebody was saying and what they needed. And, and you started moving and you thought it was a good idea, but all of a sudden their, their response is like, uh, and you're like, what? And you got offended. You got offended. That's the last time I'm going to do something for this, them. Sometimes the offensive expectation happens because and this is, this is hard, but you, we need to hear this, is because of pride. Sometimes we think our plans are better. So we shut down. We shut down. Selfishness and pride go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And how do you know if you're dealing with the offensive expectation is that if you offer something up and you don't get what you want and you isolate yourself, you're dealing with the offensive expectation because you're being selfish. And when you think your way is the only right way, whether it's with God or man, 
you're going to be trapped in the offense of expectation. And I think at some point in this story of John that he dealt with this. So what should our response be? How should we let the Holy Spirit speak to us? So the first thing that we have to do is that we have to set up a time of consecration and ask the Holy Spirit for renewed eyes to see what God is doing. Oh, I love this story, this, this, this verse in John 10, 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Again, when you back out of this one passage and you look at this chapter, chapter 10, what we see is this, is that Jesus is in Jerusalem and they're celebrating Hanukkah, what we call as Hanukkah. And if you don't know what the festival of Hanukkah is, it's the celebration of the dedication of the temple that stemmed back from when the Maccabeans held back the Greek armies off of destroying the temple, what I referenced a little while ago. And there was a particular fellow, a particular Maccabean, and if you grew up Catholic, you have these books in your Apocrypha, but this particular fellow named Judah, the Maccabean, he fought back. He was the leader of the Maccabean army, and he fought back. The forces of the, one of the mightiest armies on the face of the earth, God supernaturally empowered them, and they fought off these Greek armies, and they saved the temple. And so to commemorate it, what they do and this is what Jews do all throughout the world during Hanukkah as they light the menorah is that they're lighting this as a dedication that the temple was saved. And so in John 10, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's there and they're celebrating this. And a group of Jews, a scripture tells us, gather around him and they say to him, hey, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Because what they're asking again is the same question that John was asking, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? We've seen what you do. We've seen what you say. But are you the one? Because the one we're looking for is the one who is going to come and liberate us. And Jesus' response is seen here in John 10, 27, what we just read. Hey, listen, settle down. Listen to my voice. Because if you hear my voice, you're going to be led by the one who is both Messiah, God, King of kings and the lover of your soul. The sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. And when we're dealing with the offensive expectation, the first thing that we have to do is we have to stop. You have to be still. You have to consecrate your heart and you have to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, renew my focus back on you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear my voice. I don't want to hear my expectation. I don't, hear what I, I don't want to hear what I want to do. I want to hear what you are saying. I want to hear what you are saying. If I got out of place, if I overstepped, if I started before you told me to start, if I didn't take the time to listen to my spouse, to my children, to my coworkers, to whoever, if I didn't do it right, I am sorry, and I'm stopping, and I'm going to hear your voice. I'm not going to move until I hear your voice. And when this happens, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to release unhel any unhealthy expectations. Now, let me, let me stop and just talk about this for just a half second. Because if you're holding expectations with people, especially in relationships where you are trying to pull something that they can't give you, if there is an unhealthy expectation you are always going to get caught in the offense of expectation. And the only way that gets fixed is by stopping and asking the Holy Spirit to heal you from, un any, from any unhealthy expectations. God, am I putting my trust and my value in somebody too much? Am I asking or trying to get something from them that they can't give me? If so, I'm sorry. I'll get that from you. I'll get it from you because remember, you can't be fulfilled by somebody other than God. That doesn't mean that relationships are not fulfilling. But the source of your fulfillment comes from God alone. He's very jealous about that. And so if there's an unhealthy expectation, then we have to take that to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to heal us. As well as create a value system that's based on the Holy Spirit. In a very practical way, our response, if we're dealing with the offense of expectation, is this. 
is that we need to take the time to listen and value what other people are saying. We have to take the time to listen and value what other people are saying. And that's hard, isn't it? We really think about it when we stop with our kids, with our, our siblings, with our spouses, with our friends. But James 1.19 gives us a little bit of encouragement here. He says, James writes and says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because if you work that in reverse, what happens? You stop listening, you're going to start talking, and then you're probably going to be angry. Right? Man, I, 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 in this last week, in this last week, I want to tell you all, I've been challenged with this. Because I've said some dumb things. Because I'm just talking. I'm just talking. I've said some dumb things to my wife, who I love more than any other person on this earth. I said some dumb things to her because I was just like, oh, I sound good. I'm not listening to what she's saying. And then, boom, I say something, and it's like a grenade just went off. And here's what I'm doing is that I'm filtering everything through my expectation. You should understand this because of this, and this is what I'm saying, and and you should get it because this is right. In a very natural way, the way we interact with people, this is very important. Because what I was doing was building my side of the, of the fence here. And I was building my fortress. And in reality, a cohesive relationship involves stopping and listening. And spending the time to really understand. And that's what scripture tells us. If you want to overcome the offensive expectation, you have to stop and you have to listen. Especially with people. Especially with people. Now finally this, the Canaanite woman. And this is a big one. The offensive response. Here's her story. I'm going to read this one to you. In Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And uh, Michael or Justin, whoever, come on up. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Hmm. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. She said, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Mm -mm. Oh, Jesus, you just crossed the line. That is not politically correct. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. I, I made that part up. Like, I emphasized that the wrong way. I don't know if she said it like that. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, the difficulty with this story is whether we choose to sanitize it or not. Oh, and there's a lot of opportunity to sanitize it. Scholars debate about it. What was Jesus really saying? Did Jesus really call this woman a dog? Oh, that's offensive. It offends you and I, doesn't it? If you're honest, when you read this, you have difficulty thinking that Jesus called anybody, more or less a woman, a dog. Offends you and I. What about this Canaanite woman? Why does this happen? The offensive response. Why does this happen? See, just a little bit of context on this to to help us understand this story, maybe just a little bit better, is this, is that Jesus and his disciples were coming off a long ministry leg. And Jesus felt like they needed a break. His disciples needed a break, so they withdrew. Is that they found a quiet place, but there is this one woman who was not Jewish. But she heard. But she heard about who Jesus was. And maybe she saw what Jesus did. And she found the place that Jesus and the disciples had retreated to. And you can just imagine this visually that she's standing outside of this this house 
This may be this little cabin as it would be. And she's, she's yelling out. She's like, son of David, Jesus, son of David. Now understand this, just as a side note. Anytime you hear anybody called Jesus, son of David, what they're saying is that you're Messiah. Okay? Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. But Jesus doesn't respond. <laughs> Uncool, Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond. And it gets so annoying here that the disciples go to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, just send her away. Just come on, just send her away. Hmm. And Jesus responded, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. What Jesus is saying here is true. It's true. As he's saying this, is that I came and what I was commissioned with, what my job is, is to come to the Jews and tell them that I am the fulfillment of what has been spoken. He's not excluding anybody, but he's saying, this is my primary purpose. And this woman ushers herself in past whatever kind of security Jesus has set up, and she runs and kneels before him. And she cries out in desperation, Lord, help me. And Jesus' response here breaks me. It might not break you, but it breaks me. And he looks at her and he says, listen, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, whether you sanitize that and say all Jesus was saying is that, look, I'm a father and I got to feed my children. If my children are hungry, I can't brush it off and throw it to the dogs. It doesn't matter. In that storyline, in that narrative, that Canaanite woman is the dog any way you look at it. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were that Canaanite woman, knelt at the feet of Jesus, what would you have done? Would you have stood up and been like, you ain't never going to call me a dog? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Push on. Would you have bounced out? Would you have tried to defend yourself? Would you have just gotten up, cried, and walked out? <laughs> oh. What does this lady say? Yes, you're right. Yes, Lord, you're right. But even the dogs deserve the scraps from the master's table. I want to tell you something. The scripture doesn't miss a beat. It doesn't, it doesn't miss a word. There ain't no word in the scripture on accident. She did not change her position. She did not change her posture. She did not move. She did not shake off of that. But she said, you are master. You are master, and even if you call me a dog, even if that's the way you see me, I'll still take a scrap. Even if it just happens to fall off the table, I'll still take a scrap. And I could just imagine that Jesus looks at her and makes solid eye contact with her and says, Woman, you've got great faith. Your daughter's healed. Bam! Why does the offense of a response happen? Well, it happens because we don't get the response that we think we're dignified with, that we deserve. Sometimes it happens when the response that we receive is perceived as offensive. But here's the way we respond to this, and we need to take a page off of this Canaanite woman and understand this. first thing that we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help us believe only what is true about people and about God. In a very practical way that we have to take the time to clarify calmly and non-defensively the things that we don't understand when people respond in a way that is, is offensive to us. How often when somebody responds offensively to us or we feel like it's offensive that we take and instead of trying to clarify and take the time to understand calmly and non-defensively, 
we just posture ourselves in a position of offense and we walk away. We take, and it's easier for us to break a relationship instead of fighting for a relationship. But here I think are the most important things, especially when it comes to, to God. And sometimes if we're honest that we have the offensive response with God because we prayed for something and we didn't get what we prayed for, we were believing God for something and it didn't happen the way we thought or it hasn't happened yet. And we're just in this place and we're saying, where are you at, God? The page that we can learn from the Canaanite woman is don't give up. Especially when it comes to the promises of God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 tells us this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus tells a parable similar to the, this story that happens with the Canaanite woman about a particular woman who has a need and goes before a wicked king. And she just petitions him and begs him and petitions him and begs him and looks at him and this king in this parable is a wicked man. He's a harsh master. And he keeps turning her away, but she doesn't give up. And she keeps petitioning him. She keeps petitioning him. And finally, because he is just annoyed, he grants her what she needs. And Jesus turns that a parable around. He says, that is the type of faith I'm looking for. And I don't know that it's existent in Israel. And can I tell you something? Can I encourage you with something just really quick? Because some of you guys are believing God for something in your life. And if that thing that you are believing God with lines up with what he's saying. But here's the thing that, that I really get stuck with in this particular story about the Canaanite woman. Is that this Canaanite woman wasn't coming after something that was about her, was she? Nope. She was coming after something that had to do with her daughter. And this is what I want to tell you this morning is that in this idea of the offensive response and some of you are looking at God and said, look, I don't know if I've gotten or I don't like what I've gotten so far and why aren't you answering and I don't, and I don't like what, what you're saying is that you need to keep going back to him because there are some things worth fighting for. There are some things worth fighting for. Parents, it is worth fighting for your kids if you are believing that God is going to do what he said he would do in their lives. Spouses, it is worth fighting for your marriage if God has brought you together. If you are looking at something in your future that God has promised you, and no matter what it is that stands in your way, then fight for it. Fight for it. Fight for it. Fight for it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Fight for it. There are some things in our life worth fighting for. And I'll tell you something. Listen, and this is what makes this story a little, a little tough for us to understand is because we would say, Jesus, you, you, you gave this woman what, what she needed. Like you, you, you healed her daughter, but why did you make her go through all that? And was Jesus being cruel? Certainly not. See, a lot of times when we get this offense of, of, of response with God, we're viewing things through the lens of our time frame, aren't we? We're viewing things through the lens of what we deserve. Because I believe this with all of my heart, is that this Canaanite woman walked out of there and she said, not only did I get what I came after, but I had an experience with the Messiah, who is the good master, who is the good king. He is good. And when we let go sometimes in this position of the offense of our response, I want you to hear me of this, is that one of the keys is that you have to let go of your timing. You have to let go of your timing. If you're going to receive the response that God has for you, part of it comes by you letting go of your timing because God simply is not under the, the constrainment of your time. He's not. 
He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how to give it to you. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And in his timing, it's all perfect. It's all perfect. It's all perfect. Don't give up. Don't give up. As our faith grows, as we begin to push into this, as we begin to lean into this, and we push past the offense of response. I know that in my life, that any time I have been confronted with the offense of response, and I have, I have failed at this, it's because I gave up. Whether it was with the Lord or with a person. But I promise you, every time I go back and I push into that, again, man, I'm telling you, there's so much to learn from this story. When's the last time that you've been seeking the Lord for something and it didn't, either didn't come out the way you wanted it to or it hasn't happened yet that you stopped and you said, Lord, no matter what you do, it is well with my soul. That I love you. That you're God. And you're still master. I just love, I love this story because this woman wasn't offended. She wasn't offended. She wasn't offended and she didn't stop. She never changed the posture. She knelt because he was, he, she knew who he was. She called him master even though he called her a dog. Whoo! She said, it doesn't matter. I'll get close to you. The decision's not in my hands, but I'm just going to be close to you. And I want to tell you something very honestly. When it comes to this, this offensive response, that there are sometimes you have to let go of your timing, and it just has to get in your heart and in your mind where you just say, hey, God, it, no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. I'm going to worship you because that's who you are, your master. I'm going to keep pushing into you. I'm going to keep asking, but no matter what you do, I'm worshiping you. I'm exalting you. Amen. 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 When it comes with people, if you take the time to clarify, have you been so wounded in your life that it's easier for you just to walk away from relationships than it is to stop and to have a conversation non-defensively to say, look, I'm not sure you meant this when you said this, but this is how it came across. I'm not sure you meant to make this face when I said this, but you did. I tell my wife that sometimes. I'm like, watch your face, woman. What are you doing? Relax. I have to duck and weave when I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> When's the last time? And a lot of times, again, I know I'm harping on this, but there's a reason why. I just want you to hear this, all right? Because, again, the, the, the tool of the enemy is to bring offense, no matter where it comes, whether it's abandonment, expectation, response. And a lot of this is just kind of interweaved together, right? And some of you go, look, I'm dealing with a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. But it's time we take it to the cross because if the enemy wins an offense, then he's pulling you out. And he's pulling the gift of God inside of you out. And he's pulling a future out of you. And he's pulling joy out of you. And man, don't let the enemy win there. Take it to Jesus. Don't let the enemy win in our relationship with God. Don't create theology based upon your negativity. <laughs> Don't allow it to cripple your relationships. Don't allow it to keep you from people because you feel like people have always hurt you. Or they haven't responded to you the way you wanted to. Or they don't, your expectations haven't been met. Don't, don't, don't let it. You need people. You need God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today, Lord, for your word. Lord, we come in and we confess your word is truth. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for making that alive. And Father, I know, like myself, that there are people here that have dealt with some of these offenses, and they've been hurt, they've been wounded, and Lord, that's real, and God, and we've also been people who have, who have caused these offenses. Lord, as much as I've been hurt by people, Lord, and Lord, I know that I've hurt people, 
And Father, right now we choose to break the cycle of offense in our life. And the only way we can do that, Holy Spirit, is by coming to you. And first and foremost, we confess our shortcoming and our sin to you. And we say we're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Cleanse us and forgive us. But we also ask you to heal, Lord, the wounds of our heart. Lord, to root out the offense that's within us. And Lord, to center our heart and our eyes and our attention back on you as both the source of our fulfillment God and the source of our future and our joy and our strength. And so we trust you for that. We trust you for that. Father, I pray for those who have been wounded by the offense of abandonment that feel like they're, there's been moments where they're all alone and the enemies try to pop that lie in their heart, their mind. Holy Spirit, would you heal them? Would you heal them? Would, they, would you heal them and help them understand that they've never been alone? That they've never been alone. That there's nothing that could ever separate them from your love. No matter the pain of what they've had to walk through. Whether it's been fair or unfair. And God, would you also convince them of the plans and the future that you have for them. That they would be empowered by you, Holy Spirit, to continue to use their gift. Would you speak to their hearts and convince them of their value. Not to retreat, but to push into relationship, to keep going, to keep investing. God, would you, Lord, heal our hearts, Father, those of, those of us here today that have been offended by expectation. And God, again, we just say that we're sorry if we got out of step with you. But we're your sheep and we're going to hear your voice, so give us ears to hear, and we're going to stop and we're going to listen to what you're saying. And God, if we've stepped out in our pride because we think that what we know is better than what you know or what we know is better than what other people know, then we're sorry, Lord. And Holy Spirit, would you forgive us for our selfishness and heal us and heal us and put in us a heart that listens and gives. And God, for those of us who have dealt with the offensive response, Lord, whether it's been something you haven't done or something that you said that we didn't like or Lord, it's come from somebody else. Father, we just give that up to you, Lord, and we say we will not be offended. Blessed are those who are not offended. And so, Lord, we will not be offended but, Father, we will move past that and we'll take the time to clarify, restore relationship, to seek forgiveness and understanding. But, God, also that we will continue to petition you in your presence, Lord, that we'll never turn away from you. And so, Father, I just ask for strength for those, Lord, to continue to, to fight and not give up for the things that they're asking you for, Lord. But also, Father, for the grace to understand your timing and not to put your response in the, the framework of our own timing, God. But also to be able to say, it is so good to be in your presence and no matter what your response is, it is well with my soul. So, Lord, we worship you. We thank you. Mm, adore you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just declare your grace over every person. Lord, the great understanding of your love for them as your sons and daughters. Lord, the wonderful grace of your gift inside of them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? Oh, man. I want to just encourage you and challenge you this, this week that if, if you've dealt with any of those areas, as you spend time with the, the Holy Spirit, and, and again, understand this, that today is the beginning, is the beginning, is the beginning. But the enemy will try to pop that offense back into your heart. And as he does, you recognize it as a lie. But take some time with the Holy Spirit this week 
And maybe you need to make a list. Maybe some of you who've dealt with the offensive response, you need to make a list and say, I don't like the way that person responded or what this happened. And you need to make a list. And the first thing you need to do is say, God, I want you to forgive me. If you've broken relationship with any of those people, God, I want you to forgive me. But as the Lord directs you, maybe you need to go and have a conversation with them. Maybe you need to have a conversation with the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. Those of you this week that if, if you're dealing with the offense of abandonment, then you need to go and you need to say, God, every time that lie pops in your head, you need to put that scripture in front of you. What Paul wrote there in Romans 8, and you need to say, look, there's nothing that will ever separate me from the love of God. You need to write down the gift of God in your life and begin to use it and begin to bless somebody. Maybe this week you've, uh, you realize that you've been the offender with your expectation and you need to stop and you need to listen and really listen and really ask and say, what is it that you need? And really take the time to hear somebody's heart. Oh, man, what a great place we'd be in, eh? We would mute the lie of the enemy, wouldn't we? Father, I just bless these people with your grace in the name of Jesus, the grace we need to be everything that you've called us to. Let your goodness and your mercy surround them every day of their life, we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you so much. Have a great week. See you at small groups this week and next Sunday. 